as a pastor, something you strive for that's not easily achievable is finishing well. Uh, it's not easy. And that's why it's celebrated when you have men and women that do finish well. And I've learned some of it the hard way that you have to be able to stand back sometimes in order to keep going. And so there, there's, there's times like even, even today I'm sitting there like, God, I want to be of the right spirit when I take the pulpit. I don't, don't want to be of my own flesh. It's, it's easy. It's easy to do. And I got to tell you, it's, it's also easy to walk daily in our own flesh and a bit of pride, lacking humility. And more than anything, I cry out to the Lord for that. That when I speak, it's not of my own spirit, my own nature, but when I speak, it's from the Spirit of God. And I, I want to talk just briefly for a moment for those who uh, were here last week who had a moment where Bob Laughlin might have spoken to your life. I want to say, although Bob is a very humble man, and I look at him as someone who does hear from the Spirit of the Lord and speak into your life, even Bob would tell you if he spoke into your life last Sunday, confirm it with the Word of God. Allow the word of God to speak. Don't just rely on the words of a man, but allow the word of God to confirm it to you and speak it to you. And I think that's so important. Amen? You know what? In the word of God, it does speak to us and it, it confirms to us. And I got, as I was preparing for this message, I was a little fired up. And the reason I was fired up is because we just got done with a series here a while back about people that are trapped in cycles, cycles of sin and needing to break that cycle of sin and, and get, get a little set free. And I get fired up when I look around and I still people set in cycles of sin. And I'm thinking, what are we doing here? At some point, we have a choice to make. We have choices to make. And so often we're willing to cast off on other people the reason we, the, we are the way we are. We're willing to play the victim and not take ownership of our circumstances. I think about the messages that have been preached here. And one of the things that we have really tried to drive home is that through Christ you can have new life. That, but yet, there are so many people who embrace that here, maybe at the altar or in a prayer time, but then you go off and you're not walking in any new life. You are still identifying with your past, or there are remnants from the past that you still are holding on to. Now, I don't know about you, but we as people, we like comfort, we like familiarity. And there are times in life we like to have an out. 
You know, on our Wednesday night class, we talked about marriage and, and divorce on Wednesday nights. And, and one of the things I think that is so important is just the institution of marriage that God has ordained. And something that I see, even amongst Christians today, that just perplexes me to no end, is that the onset of marriage, they set up prenuptial agreements. And when you think about this, if you need a prenup before you get married, you are already setting up your marriage for failure. Point blank. And what it is, is we, we want to have an out. Have you ever gone to a meeting or a party and one that you felt obligated to attend but you didn't want to be there? I'm sure nobody here. And there have been times where I have joked in close circles of mine. I'm like, okay, if I text you a siren, that means that you need to call me with an emergency. <laughs> and that's my out, right? And the reason we tend to think that way is because we naturally want to be comfortable. We want to be in familiar places. But yet what I've learned is this is so contrary to what God's calling us to. You know, Jesus said one of the most challenging things in Scripture, that if you truly get at the depth of what he's saying, you will know how difficult it is. He said we are to pick up our cross and follow him daily. It speaks to a life of surrender. It speaks to a life of suffering. But it's important for you to ask, what does following him look like? And Jesus was explaining to the disciples what it would cost to follow him. And he said, even the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Speaking to a life of uncertainty. Of desperation for God to lead and guide for what he's going to eat, where he's going to sleep. And then in the Great Commission, he commanded his disciples to basically go do likewise on their own, to spread out, to ministering to neighbor, neighboring countries and spread the gospel, and it commanded them to leave what was familiar. Things they knew to the truly embrace new life in him. And as a result, they obeyed the words that he spoke. And 11 of the 12 disciples were killed for their faith. The only one who was noted as not martyred for their faith was John. Interesting, isn't it? Because we don't see living like that today. Think about the return on investment that Christ had. Eleven of the twelve, and I'm counting Matthias as one of those twelve. The eleven of the twelve went out and they were killed for what they believed. I believe what holds people back from ever taking that step in picking up their cross and following him daily is the inability to let go of their past. Whether it's sin, or perhaps it's the familiarity of the life they have led, there are things that you can't let go of, so new life in Christ is never truly embraced. 
In Acts, the early church movement understood developing community and drawing people in to start new life in Christ by removing sin and separating themselves from the things that drove them to sin. And so they're ministering to people who practiced divination and witchcraft, and these people gave their lives to Christ. Listen to the steps that they took. Let's turn to Acts chapter 19. We're just going to read verses 18 through 20, and I'm going to be reading out the New Living Translation. But I want you to look at what they did. Acts 19, starting at verse 18. It says, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Everyone say confessed. A number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. You know, they translated that. It originally said 50,000 pieces of silver. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. I want us to pray. Father, I pray that you can help us understand the, the steps that it takes in order for us to truly be committed to your call. Lord, what we need to do to get there and that, Lord, our hearts just be mended to you. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we truly want to embrace new life, there are several things you have to come to terms with. And one of the most important things you have to come to terms with is that in life, we are pretty powerless. We're powerless. And I argue that without God, we are under the power of something. There is something that has power over you. Have you ever noticed that everyone has something that has power over them? Now, maybe it's something obvious like alcohol or drugs, but perhaps it's money. Maybe it's specific possessions. It could be sex. It could be pornography. Or maybe you are always coveting something that you don't have. Romans 6.16, Paul says, Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living. Now, we partook of communion this morning, and one of, one of the biggest pillars of partaking of communion, you know, we, you don't have to be a member of this church to partake of communion. The only thing I ask of you is that you have done business with the Lord before you dare partake of communion, because if you have sin in your life, you cannot honor the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. Now, I think in our basic human nature, if we're to look at Romans 6.16 again, and I, I do want to read it again, it says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. That's a loud ringer, wow. <laughs> 
I think we are naturally designed to long for something over us. You might not realize it. You might think you are pretty independent and nothing has control over you. But if you do not believe in God, most likely you're going to think that you have control over something or those things might serve you. But when we can't live without something, we are surrendering to its power. And in essence, what it becomes is a false idol in our life. So this is the reality. If you need alcohol to cope, it's not serving you. You're serving it. And now that obviously can apply to anything that we turn over our power to it. So in essence, it means we're powerless. And I can speak for myself. Our human nature displays we're pretty weak. For instance, have you ever been so sick you thought you were going to die? There's been a few times in my life. There is nothing more humiliating. There is nothing that makes you feel weaker than being so sick you don't know if you're going to make it through. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he likens us to fragile clay pots. If a clay pot breaks, what's it good for? You know, you can try and take all the pieces and glue it back together again, but you still have a pretty weak pot. And yet, because of sin, we all feel like we have been broken in some way. We're in need of repair. And for those that come to the church and those who seek an out, they try to escape the things that hold power over them, and they might notice something, that without God, we tend to trade for one thing that we surrender to its power for another. And so, for instance, if you have someone who is addicted to alcohol and they want to break free of that addiction, usually they find something else to be addicted to. Usually it's something that appears good. But what we don't realize so often without God, it can become a false idol. Do you know one of the greatest deceptive tools of the devil is to convince us that we are in full control? We are powerful. And what you don't, you might not realize is that we are constantly battling things that enslave us. So I believe that even today, we, we're faced with a choice. We must come to the place where we recognize we are weak, where we have failed, and we need help. Now, sometimes people get pretty far to get to that point. Their bottom is way down at the bottom. Others never hit the bottom until they die. But as I already alluded to, oftentimes our separation from things we recognize as not good leads us to serving something else where it might not be sin. It might be that false idol. And anything is a false idol that we require in our lives to sustain us. I read this week 
It said, an object achieves false idol status when the significance of the object becomes detached from its original meaning and the object itself attains status separate from and even greater than the value that it represents. There are so many things that have become a false idol in our life. Things that seem innocent. TV. Vehicles. Our jobs. And if we are all destined to serve something, why not serve the one who has power over all? Which I think is the reason that people are drawn to God, people are drawn to church, but still something, still coming to church though, I, I, I want to say, does not equate to serving God. You know, you can show up at church five days a week and still not be living for God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be destroyed to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And we can take out money and we can replace it with about anything. That's a false idol. So really, Jesus says it comes down to a choice. You can't have both. And many people would like it both ways. I've heard it said, well, pastor, I don't see it the same way. I'd say, then you don't see it God's way. You know, we tend to ignore the parts of Scripture that speak to our personal proclivities and tendencies. But if you choose to seek God, I believe what's going to happen is the Holy Spirit will reveal the deep, hidden things inside us that need to be removed. But it comes to surrender. You know, Pastor Kelly spoke to being in awe of God today, and he was imploring everyone to just be in awe of God. It takes surrender. It takes, it takes saying, God, I am fully open to you, I am available for you to completely work inside of me. And we can't get to that place of awe until we can get to the place where we're open. Now, when the Holy Spirit begins to remove things in our life, there are things in our life that are obvious. And we might be able to list all the obvious things. But do you know the Spirit of God comes in and usually points out the things that are not so obvious? I got to tell you, I, uh, I, I was going through a phase, and, you know, I, I've been pretty burned out. But I've been going through a phase where I had a bad attitude. And I was pointing at all the things that created the bad attitude. And I go on vacation, and I'm, I'm kind of just having a moment with the Lord. I, I like to drive for vacation because it gives me more time to sit and think. And as I'm driving, I'm just talking to the Lord, and I'm thinking about every reason. I'm just kind of going through a funk. And the Spirit of God said, you're not walking in humility. And immediately I went, God, 
That can't be it, right? That can't be it. But then the walls started coming down. I said, you know what, Lord? You're right. You're right. And here's the reality. The Spirit of God wants to do that in each one of our lives. He does. But you've got to be open to it. See, many people, even in Christ, they still feel trapped by things in this life and the things of their past. And you are walking in this room today, and you might be identifying by those very things. But I'm telling you, if you go broken before the Lord, the power of God can restore you. I referenced earlier 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The Apostle Paul, he's comparing us to clay pots. How weak they are and how easily they can be broken. And I believe that, that sin breaks us all. And you and I, we might search for that super glue to just bring that pot back together or other means to take care of all the broken parts of us just to hold everything together. But what I have learned is there is only one power on the face of the earth that can take what is broken and truly mend it to its original purpose. That's Jesus Christ. The things we have done that creates guilt that holds power over us, what it does is it does create these labels and either we are identifying by what we have done or others will identify us by that and then we embrace it. Think about it. People walk around under identities all the time. Murderer. Divorced. Thief. Adulterer. Liar, a cheat. And sometimes we have such difficulty shaking those labels and those things are what holds us captive from receiving everything we can from God. But listen to what Jesus speaks over us. It's John 8, 31 through 32. We read this three weeks ago. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, church, freedom means the power of sin is broken over your life. That's true freedom. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And that is the redemptive nature of Jesus Christ and why he went to the cross for you. So God, who has the power over all things, he chooses not to recognize your wrongdoings anymore when you claim that sacrifice. David said in Psalm 103, 12, he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. So check this out. The God, the creator of the universe, no longer holds the past against you. So if God doesn't hold it against you, then you are truly set free, and you shouldn't hold it against yourself either. And if you do, I have a question to ask you. Are you better than God? Because that's the message you're sending. And something else you need to embrace. There is no depth of sin too great for God. Yeah. 
Many of us, we've let our sin cause us to spiral out of control so bad that we think there is no way I can be redeemed because of the things I've done. I've heard references to lightning striking people when they walk inside a church. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's part of that that would be entertaining. (laughs) But I hear it said all the time, you don't realize what I've done. Here's the thing. God does. And yet, he still sent his son for you. This is our base scripture for today. I want you to look at this. I want you to turn there. Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 39. If there's anything you get out of today, I want it to be this scripture. Romans 8, starting at verse 33. It says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen... For his own. No one, for God himself, has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Jesus Christ died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is setting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he, is, he, he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You are a child of God. But you can't serve sin and serve God. You have a choice. Many people have taken this scripture and said, oh, a universalist approach. I love this approach. What it means is that I can go and keep on sinning. I can do whatever I want. I found God and his grace is so sufficient for me that I can just do whatever I want. That is not the case. You cannot serve two masters. Eventually what happens is you have a choice. Keep on sinning. Keep on picking up that sin or say it's time to be done with it. You have to be ready, able, and willing to turn your life over to him. And that is when new life and new identity comes. And this kind of living recognizes that we can't return to our old way of living. It's new life. It's a second chance. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. 
So church, if we pick up that sin again, it means we never truly understood Jesus' sacrifice. And I question the salvation of the person who does pick up that sin again. Seriously. They haven't truly understood the awe of God. They haven't understood the sacrifice. You know there are two parts to salvation. There are two parts. The day you acknowledge Jesus Christ died for you and that sin washes over you. And then the day he calls you home. People are looking at God's grace as indispensable. That he is like a free vending machine. I'm telling you, God knows our hearts. He knows our motives. So to truly embrace the work of Christ is to understand that we are undeserving. We can all sit here and say we are undeserving and we have been given a second chance at new life. Listen to Romans 6, 1 and 2. Paul says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? The second most important step in the redemptive work of Christ is to remove any remnant of sin that remains. And what we did is we saw in Acts 19, they took their incantation books and they burned them with witnesses there at a public bonfire. Scholars say, as, as it was interpreted as 50,000 pieces of silver were the value of these books that they burned. They believe the approximate value of those assets today would be between four to five million dollars. In this economy, it's probably more like eight to ten. And so many would be questioning. Th th think about this. They see the value of this book, right? And I can only imagine people would be thinking, hold on a second. At least I could sell it and get the value out of it, and then I could use that for good. Or maybe I could trade it for something that could be useful to me now. But what they did was in that moment, they followed the conviction of the Lord and determined it wasn't good for anything. And it wasn't just because of the information that was contained in the book. They were permanently removing the things in their life that held them captive. They eliminated the out. They didn't allow themselves to return back to it. You know, the word of God says, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool to its folly. And what it means is that so often in our weaknesses, if we allow ourselves to be foolish, we can return to the very things that corrupted us from the beginning. And so you and I, we need to be wise. It makes no sense to me if the al alcoholic 
decides to live a life of sobriety and keep an unopened bottle of liquor in their cabinet as a symbol. No, no, no. That's a stumbling block. That's what that is. And sure, it can serve as a reminder, but it's also a setup for failure, your fallback plan. Don't give yourself an opportunity to fall back. Kelton, if you could come. In 1519, the Spanish set out to conquer Mexico. And as they're going there, and for most of the people that were going to conquer it, it was uncharted land. They didn't know exactly what they'd be facing and what they needed to be prepared for. And although their quest wasn't good-natured, Clearly, they felt a purpose in what they were doing. And as the soldiers are getting ready to approach land, I can only imagine the questioning of whether or not they would die, whether it was smart or foolish, if it was worth it. So Hernan Cortez decided to give his men no option to turn back, and he commanded them to burn the ships. And in the bay, they burned the ships because he said, this is our quest. No option. We can't go back. Many people in this room have that boat sitting right out in the bay. And you're thinking, you know, At least it's smooth sailing back to where I was. And I believe that we need to get to the point where you understand your salvation's on the line. The way you've been living in everything puts you at risk for eternity. And what you need to do to embrace that new life, it requires you maybe taking that book and saying, no, I gotta burn it. I can't have this in my life, I need to give it up. Because I'm gonna tell you, when you leave it on the shelf, there's gonna be a time of persecution, there's gonna be an issue that arises, and you're gonna see that book sitting there. You're gonna say, that's an option. Listen, new life in Christ doesn't mean an absence of difficulties. It doesn't mean no hard times. It means surrendering to the one who's all-powerful, the one who knows all, and just trusting that his plan is greater than anything that you could imagine. What I'd ask right now is our prayer altar team to come forward. I believe that there are many that have embraced that old identity. Maybe because of things in the past, maybe because of things in the present. But you're holding on and you haven't let go. You haven't allowed yourself to surrender. 
if we're to follow the pattern of the early church, the best-natured approach in embracing new life is to confess it, remove it, burn it. New life, new identity, one option moving forward. Why don't you bow your heads? Lord, we just welcome your Holy Spirit. That, God, we might be open to your voice. Lord, I believe that there are a lot of voices that have crowded the minds in this room. But, God, if we look to Romans chapter 8, verses 33 through 39, that's not what your word says that we are. That's not who we are, God. But Lord, if we identify with your son, Jesus Christ, we are called sons and daughters. Lord, we are called heirs. We are called kings and queens in your kingdom. And God, there are things that in this room people are holding on to that has created a barrier between their old life and new life. And God, I believe your Holy Spirit is calling out to them to remove the remnants of the past. To give themselves no option but to progress forward in you. And Lord, I cry out today for people to come to know true freedom. What I want you to do is I want you to stand up right now. We're going to sing this song, Such an Awesome God. And if the Holy Spirit is impressing upon you, what I want you to do is I want you to take the boldness, the step, to step out and seek someone to pray with. If the Holy Spirit is working on your heart, I believe what he wants you to do is he wants you to confess. Because in confession, there is freedom. But that's just the first step. It's about removing those things which have drug us down. So let's sing, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to step forward.